For what you are about to receive, may the Lord make you truly thankful. Hi, I'm Jamal, and joining me today on Out Damn Podcast are Sarah, Austin, and Bobby. And we are a group of theater practitioners that enjoy talking about theater, so let's not waste time and get right into it. So one of the biggest issues right now in theater, and one of the hottest topics, is um, Hamilton, which I think the four of us are all very well aware of and are made aware of by some of the friends that we have. Um, for those of you that don't know, Hamilton is a play on Broadway right now that follows the story of Alexander Hamilton and the founding of America. The fun thing is that every character in the show is played by people of color except uh, one... Uh, King George. King George. Thank you, Bobby. Um, and yeah, and it creates for a very interesting conversation and very interesting talk in the theater world of, you know, inclusion, diversity, etc., etc. So I'm going to toss things to Bobby now to get us started. Yeah, so uh, speaking of inclusion, uh, this was a, a discussion we had fairly recently that I uh, that went very well. Um, there's been some debate over whether or not Hamilton has been a big deal because of the quality of the work or simply because it is so inclusive and the cast is entire, almost entirely comprised of minorities. I was wondering what you guys thought about that. I think it's overhyped. And I think the overhype and the massive amounts of hype, and I know the two of us, Jamal, have debated about this, is... Um, that is a diverse cast. And I appreciate what they're doing, but I'm not interested in things because they're diverse. I do want more diversity in things, but I'm not interested in it being diverse and not good. Not saying that Hamilton so is... Diversity for its own sake. sake. Yes, yes. I'm not interested in diversity for its own sake. I'm interested in it being diverse and also being quality. Well, I don't think he meant it as just doing it to be diverse. I, I don't. I don't think he did either. I'm just saying. I, mean, I think that a lot of it's just the media taking it and publicizing it as this big diverse show. And I mean, this is what we talked about yesterday. That very well, maybe what it is. And I mean, one of my problems is that a lot of people who talk about the show being good, that I, as far as what we know, the people that we right, all associate right. with mutually, um, think the show is. There's not a lot of talk about the quality of the music. You know what I mean? Like most of the comments I've heard from the show aren't like. Man, this music's great. It's man, they have a non-white playing Alexander Hamilton, a white president, and then a non-white playing Aaron Burr, and et cetera, et cetera, for everyone but King George, right? That's the character for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's my that's my stance. Okay. I mean, I think that right now the show's getting a lot of stuff because they're using that as like spectacle. Terms Come look at all of these non white people we yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think when more people, when the show becomes more out there and people can actually listen to it and not just use Spotify, because I hate Spotify, um, I don't understand how to work it. Same. I, um, I don't, <laughs> um, don't want to Once pay it for becomes it. more readily available, I think more people will like it for what it is rather than what it's being advertised. And uh, I, I think we can tie this into a discussion about the recent revival of Spring Awakening that Deaf West has just produced. Uh, now, the Deaf West revival of Spring Awakening it started as a standalone production in L.A., and it utilizes a combination of deaf actors signing on stage with actors simultaneously singing. Um, what I found interesting, I was doing some research earlier today on this, uh, this actually isn't the first time Deaf West has brought a revival to New York, um, but it is the first time it's gotten this much attention. 
And uh, the last time was 2003, and they brought Big River. And in 2003, I was reading a couple of reviews. It was actually treated more like a novelty. And and, uh, there's a lot of hype surrounding it right now. Oh, this is so inclusive, and oh, it's so great, because all of these deaf people can come and enjoy this show, and it's not just an interpreter on the side of the stage. Um... And I'm, I'm curious as to whether as to whether it is it is so hyped because of the brand Spring Awakening, or if it's simply because inclusion is the is just the hot thing right now. Uh, <laughs> summarize some of the reviews for that for me. Uh, the for Spring know, Awakening or for uh, the, Big River? Uh, Spring Awakening. For Spring Awakening. Yeah. Okay, um, I've got a couple right here. Most of them are very glowing. Um, okay. And then there's one that really just. Is not. Um, this is Charles Isherwood of the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Uh, true, it may take a few minutes to process the process, as it were. A mild case of sensory overload may have you reeling in the opening minutes as you adjust to the necessity of taking it all in and figuring out where to focus your concentration at any given moment. But a heady dose of sensory overload is what the best musicals deliver anyway. That's why people become obsessed with them. Here are just different elements that contribute to the sensation. Um, a lot of different reviews talk about an exhilarating and fluid hybrid of song, word, dance, and sign. Um, there is one from, I believe it is Variety, or is it The Hollywood Reporter? It is in this list. Vulture, Washington Post, Newsday, Hollywood Reporter. Uh, David Rooney writes, It is an admirable undertaking, and I wish I could get behind it, but arriving on Broadway so soon after Michael Mayer's viscerally impactful premiere production won the 2007 Tony Award for Best Musical, this underpowered, unexceptionally sung, post-glee version seems more of a special presentation than a wholesale reinvention. Wow. Um, it's pretty strong. Fuck your thought glee in there. That's the, that's the word. <laughs> uh, so, you've done some research on the show, right? Uh, uh, a little bit, yes. So is there singing going on by... There, there is singing. The way it works, um, and also the production process I'm intrigued by. I want to dig some more into that. But there's a full ensemble of deaf actors who are signing um, in time with the music. And they have 80,000 visual cues they go off of. Mm-hmm. But while they're signing, I don't know the exact number, but there are, sing- there are singers who are singing the characters as they are signing them. So, so it's a lot going on at once. Who plays okay. the characters when there's not music? I don't know. I assume it's still a combination of the two of them. But no, what intrigues me about this, and um, I didn't, I didn't really think this was very interesting until I was reading about Big River. Um, but I feel like in the case of Spring Awakening, it really is more about the show than the concept and the fact that it is a deaf cast. Because this is what um, Jeff Calhoun said about um, about Big River. He found the show took on double meanings. The differences between deaf and hearing cultures began to permeate the story as much as the tale's juxtaposition of black and white cultures, which I find really interesting. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see how the how that kind of concept he has about kind of representing deaf versus hearing cultures in kind of parallel paralleling those with uh, themes in the actual script, I don't see how that would apply to Spring as well. I, I agree. And um, what I what I find the most interesting is I really think the only reason it's getting all of this attention is because it's Spring Awakening. I agree. Um, um, because, I mean, Big River, um, I don't have the review pulled up, but I read the review from the New York Times. Um, and while they didn't dislike the show, it was really treated as a novelty. Oh, look at this interesting thing that yeah. doesn't actually matter. Um, and I find that really interesting. Um... I think, and this is my personal opinion, I, I have no idea, I mean, on the inside of company involvements at all, but I think that 
kind of how I their motives to me is what what it seems is that it is as far as the deaf culture aspect of it is they're not doing it to get attention they're doing it to kind of raise awareness of deaf actors and deaf entertainers and things like that mm-hmm. but the spring awakening like that production being what they choose is what they're doing to try to you know what I mean uh, draw people in um, because Big River is unarguably a lot less popular of a show than Spring Awakening. <laughs> I, I honestly haven't even yeah. listened to the soundtrack for Big River. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, I know that there is a river and it is big. And, and they are on it. It is about Hawk Finn. Yeah, and there's some racism. Yes. Uh, Welcome to 2015. <laughs> With Is it Robot Joe now? Is that what we're calling him? Probably. There's actually a version of the book now where they, call, where they replace every instance of that word with the word robot. It's pretty awesome. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah. Yeah, Um, so so I think it sounds like what you're getting at is, like, they are are trying to bring to attention the fact that you can fully integrate deaf actors into a show, and they're using Spring Awakening as a way to kind of grab you. Yes. I uh, I think that, too. And I think, personally, I think Spring Awakening might not be (laughs) the best choice of show for that. But, you know... uh, and I do, I do agree with the review that says uh, it hurts it that they just had their career. I mean, Spring Awakening had a recent show, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they just had this groundbreaking, award-winning premiere knockout show. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, it was barely seven years ago. And, and to re- and to replace it with um, what is it? Uh, Death West. Is that what uh, Death West. Death West. Yeah. To replace it with Death West production. I mean, obviously, Death West isn't going to be aiming for kind of the quality of overall production itself in the same way that the premiere production of Spring Awakening is. Mm-hmm. They have other goals in their production, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think that it's just too recent. I mean, eight years ago? Yeah. Now, um, there was, it, was a, it was a similar problem with the Rent revival that happened, not, what, three or four years after Rent closed? Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the whole attraction was, it's Rent for a new generation, and it's so uh, edgy. Uh, <laughs> generations are more far apart than three or Yeah. <laughs> they don't understand that. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, another another uh, thing that popped up recently that I just think is, is totally crazy so uh, Barbara Streisand has been officially attached to a gypsy movie for quite a while, and it's gaining some more speed. And uh, it was just announced that John Travolta and Lady Gaga are in talks to star opposite her as Herbie and Louise. And uh, I just want all of this to die. See, I would be lying to you if I said that I was the most knowledgeable on that show itself. Did you see uh, Lady Gaga's Academy Award uh, sound of music. Yeah, music. It wasn't terrible. No, it wasn't. I thought it was good. I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, so I'm not upset that they want her in it. But all John Travolta. My uh, my issue with this yes. is celebrity stunt casting, which is a problem I have with Broadway shows right now to begin with, let alone movies. Um, Gypsy is enough of a name, and if you. I feel that the best way to approach something like this, which is the way they should approach a wicked movie, which they're never going to because Hollywood studio. Let's just not make a wicked movie. I agree with that also. Awesome. Um, 
But no, there's this tendency to think that no one will see it unless you have big names. But the thing is, um, nobody knew who Christopher Reeve was before Superman oh, came yeah. out. The big name in Superman was Gene Hackman. So, I mean, if you put... You could put really great either new actors or stage actors in these roles and bolster your cast with big names. Not only will you have a superior product, but you'll still get the people to come see it as long as you market it right. Um, I also think there's this sort of unspoken rule in Hollywood that John Travolta is talented. That <laughs> <laughs> um, like we as people who are not in Hollywood can kind of step back and go, that's not completely true. Um, I'm, I think we've all seen Grease, and that was... Now... Sorry, it is not the undisputed classic that is Grease 2. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, here's the thing. Okay. I don't think John Travolta is bad by any means. Do I think John Travolta has released anything of quality in the past... A hundred years. Uh, I, I'd shorten that to a decade. But, <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Not at all. Uh... I, can't, I, I genuinely cannot remember the last thing John Travolta was in. Except I mean, if they, were, if they were taking... John Travolta, Grease era, or, I mean, John Travolta, Pulp Fiction era, something like that, you know what I mean? Then mm-hmm. I would understand the appeal of having John Travolta in your show. But now, I mean, I understand Lady Gaga, the American Horror Story season's coming out and stuff with her. And, I mean, she's, she's still a popular and, I mean, and, and even the thing about, like, Lady Gaga is Lady Gaga was an actress before she was a singer. Mm-hmm. Her first role was, like, on The Sopranos when she was 15. Mm-hmm. So, like, she, when it comes to, like, famous singers who were actors prior, I'm not really... I'm not really against them going back to what they started as because even in her music and performances even if you don't like her which I'm sure there are people who don't um, there is a certain th- theatricality to I mean, the way she performs yeah. Too, yeah, yeah there's a certain and I don't I'm not a, I'm not against her doing this sort of her. thing but like I just John Travolta John Travolta uh, I mean, I understand you saying Grease, but I didn't think John Travolta was good in Grease. I also just don't care for the idea of Barbara Streisand. Uh, um, John Travolta has to knock down doors because he can't find the key. And I just, <laughs> I think we should all agree on that and move on. I, don't, I, I feel like there also might be a policy that every movie has to have at least one Scientologist in it. I think that John Travolta is their <laughs> token Scientologist. Well, I mean, going 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 to your idea of um, having a relatively unknown actor. And the primary role and the supporting role, kind of. Uh, more famous actor. I think that isn't a concept that we see, or convention that we see used very often in many genres. I think I'm going to have to shut that argument down, because the only time I've really seen that, especially in recent years, is kind of superhero movies. Yeah, I was going to bring mean, going back, Going back to kind of X-Men... Uh, Ian McKellen, well-known actor, was the villain, right? Mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart, well-known actor. But then we focused on Wolverine, right? Mm-hmm. And Hugh Jackman at the time was relatively unknown. Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire, relatively unknown. Willem Dafoe, not. Mm-hmm. I feel like the only other place we see it, um, it's a little less commonplace now, but it was that was how TV worked um, for the longest time. Right. Yes, Another yes. example is um, Thor. Chris Hemsworth and um, Tom Hiddleston weren't particularly known, but you had the guy who played Odin, whose name I can't remember. Uh, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins was like... And we had a... Is it Kira Knightley or Natalie Portman? Natalie Portman. Portman. Natalie Portman was Jane Foster. I can never remember which is which. But uh, moving on, speaking of of Kira Knightley... uh, (laughs) I'm so excited for this This happened... God, what is it, today? No, it was yesterday, uh, during a performance of Therese Rakeen, which I really need to research. I don't know what that show is about. Probably just because Kira Knightley's in it and I didn't care. Um, anyway, there was a disturbance in the middle of the show uh, that actually was tweeted. A, uh, during the show, a man in the very back of the mezzanine got up and started screaming. And uh, he screamed, Christ was born a virgin. 
Kira, marry me. And then he threw a bouquet of flowers onto the stage before security, like, wrestled him to the ground and drug him outside. Live bold. Live bold. Do everything uh, you possibly can in your life, Kanye West. Uh, well. Somebody tweeted this during the show? I don't know if the tweet was, was during after. or... I believe oh, the tweet was okay. after the show. Yeah. But, um, There's enough distraction at once. I mean, to be honest, if someone did that, I'm tweeting during. What y'all gonna do to me? Kick me out? I'm not jumping on stage saying marry me. What's uh what's really great is uh so after the whole bouquet of flowers thing happened, Kira like kicks it into the wings. Yeah, and, and then like the, the curtain the audience, applauded, the audience yeah. applauds, the curtain drops, and they took like a five minute like intermission before they restarted that whole scene. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what to discuss about that topic. <laughs> Neither do why. I. It's I just know, hysterical. I, 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 I'm I'm glad I mentioned it. But I um I think that leads to an interesting topic, um that I've had a uh, conversation with a mentor of mine this summer uh, quite a bit about like cell phone usage in theaters and distracting things like that. Yes. And um, a kind of a conclusion we came to as far as that was or this particular mentor's solution to this is uh, instead of a pre-recorded speech before the show telling you to turn your cell phones and all, things off like that he thinks it would be more personal if he as a director for whatever production he's directing steps on the stage and gives the audience a personal like a personal make it feel more conversational than a yeah. pre-recorded message and he thinks that is more likely to convince uh, the audience well um, something that Cinemark does now is that they have an app and before every movie you use the app to turn your phone off and because you do that you get like little rewards afterwards now obviously like every theater can't do that it might be cool if there was some sort of app or something I mean, I, it's not even just that. I get it, um, but I am very much of the mind everyone is not going to turn their phone off. I, as a high school student, did not turn my phone off. I didn't use it, but I didn't turn it off. I I don't care if they turn their phone off. I just care that people aren't using them. Yes, the definitely. Definitely. That is the, that, I think that is the most important thing, just because I know that Austin and I worked on something together, and there's a part in the show where the lights go out, and looking into the audience, there was someone cell phone on. God, I hate those people. And it's just like, you can see them. I mean, and someone was recording, and there's a scene where, or there's a particular moment in the show that the lights go out, and Jamal pulls the cell phone out of his pocket and turns a flashlight and shines it in the audience. And he caught someone that. recording. <laughs> right, like in the middle of the performance. It's just like, one, what am I supposed to do? I see you. You know I see you. You make eye contact with me. B, why are you recording? There's so many other things you can be doing right now, B, like watching the show. Well, while I don't believe you should have turned a cell phone off, I think everyone should take the time to figure out how to put your phone actually on silent. Yes. Because on silent doesn't mean vibrating. Vibrate. Because vibrate is loud. Uh, in particular, the closing uh, performance of this most recent show that I was just talking about. I um, know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. It was right yeah. there. Uh, yeah, I don't know who phone it was, but oh, I, I was sitting, you know the person? Oh, yes. Well, I was sitting and watching the production, and two, the two act, I had two actors on stage, and they had a very, it was a very quiet moment, and there's just silence on stage. Beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Closing, couldn't have asked for a better closing moment for a closing show, and then all of a sudden, a vibration just starts mm-hmm. happening, and everyone in the audience starts turning to see it. And just attention is lost, from right? The, from the and then it becomes about the spectacle of the cell yeah, phone. Yeah, so it becomes the, the cell phone, and and no one made the thing about this that angered me is that no one made an attempt to turn it off, as far as I can tell. Because I looked that's down, that's what really made me angry too. Is that, is that they just thought that it would eventually go away, and it did. Thirty five seconds later, when the show was over, and this person knew oh, better no. is the thing that really makes me mad. I mean, just to be safe, just turn the cell 
microphone off. Like I know you guys are just saying put it on silence or something. I always I always go for I airplane. Feel like it's just as a matter of like respect, mm-hmm. you should just turn it off. It's not that hard to turn yourself off. Who am I respecting? The actors, everyone, the people who worked on the show. I mean, I, I understand like turning it on silent and making sure it's really on silent. But I have a life too. Like my life doesn't stop for this hour, thirty I mean, minute show, and I'm not turning my phone off. I disagree with that. Your, yes, yeah. if you can't put your life on hold for an hour to an hour and a half. I mean, I'm just settle. I'm just here to support. I'm not here to have my life changed. I'm just here to see this little funky show and move on with my life. Like I, there are still things going on in my life that I need myself. Then I think forward. you're going to theater for the wrong reasons. And I don't I mean, think you're properly supporting them if you're not. Uh, if you're if you're just there to see okay, a but, quote unquote funky show. Here's my question though: You can't tell if my phone is genuinely on silent. No one else can tell if my phone is on or not like you don't no one except me knows and with most phones today there's that delay between phone starting up and text messages being received what if something serious has happened in my life what if my grandmother has just died y'all want to put my grandmother's death on hold for this show doesn't make no i'm, not, I'm just arguing, well, I mean, arguing if you're, this point. I mean, I don't are, you, are you going to answer the phone during the show how serious is it well, I think that if you're going, if you're that lady that got her phone snatched by Patty Lapone, you best be putting your phone in off to see that show. Definitely, Patty Lapone didn't care at all. <laughs> Patty Lapone said, "Listen, I'm old enough. When God said, let there be light, I flipped the light switch on. I'm about to take your phone and do what I want with it.'" Um, I, I don't. I feel like for me, more so than even more so than the actors, I feel like it's the rest of the audience. That too. I be- mean. I'm actually more I'm more angered as an audience member when when some asshole pulls a phone out to text Definitely. than I am on stage. Definitely. I because mean, I, yeah, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, as an audience member, more than as someone that worked on the show the entire process, it took me out of that last moment. You right. heard this yeah. loud vibration. Mm-hmm. I I definitely agree with you guys on this. I just made that argument to make an argument for oh, the yeah. There is an article that I would like I to talk about. Which one is it? Is um, it the, the Golden Age article? Yes. One of our uh, professors shared an article about the golden us now being in the um, golden age of Broadway. And I am very interested in this just because as someone who for a long time did not care about Broadway because it didn't seem to be something accessible to me. Now seeing... Yes? No. Me, you perked up. Um, I'm now, and now in the year of... 20 like it seems like Broadway is becoming a place that is actually looking like America which is something that the article says um, that you have shows on Broadway and people on Broadway that sound and look like what America sounds like mm-hmm. as opposed to the early days of Broadway where it was just these I'm not big on the early days of Broadway because neither I, am I. I hate the way they sound that that particular style of singing like never super app- yes it never appealed to me there's also just not a whole lot fun going on story yeah, wise yeah. yeah it was really it's just, just pretty songs and people right dancing. it was more spectacle than anything else spectacle than plot um, and the article talks about with the way with the way where Broadway seems to be going this this season upcoming is the most diverse season in Broadway history mm-hmm. which is really interesting to me. Because I I think that is a good thing. I hate that it has taken us this long to get here. But I think it's a really good thing that we are starting to get what most people call like the theater center of America. Starting to look like more of um, the country that we all inhabit and live in. And I just wanted to know you guys' thoughts on that. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. What um, are some of the shows in the upcoming season? Um, um, so, Hamilton... Okay. Which is in the uh, current yeah. Hamilton. The Color Purple is making its revival, which uh, I am more than excited about. My favorite director is directing that. Yes, and, so and I, John cannot, Doyle. I can't wait to see it. 
um, um, Allegiance is opening yeah, October. Alleg- Allegiance is a very important show. I'm, I, I really am dying to see Allegiance. Allegiance, know? Allegiance is the first show that stars an all Asian cast on Broadway. Oh. And it's the story of the, um, the Japanese internment during World War II. Uh, George Takei is one of the producers. Uh, he's also he's also starring in it. Um, yeah, because it's the, a story of his life. It's a phenomenal cast. Um, it's George Takei, um, Leia Salonga, yeah. um, who first got big with Miss Saigon. Um, we mostly know her because she was the singing voice of Princess Jasmine and Mulan and all the Disney things ever that were not voiced by Judy Kuhn. Um, <laughs> Telly Leung's in it, who no one really knows, but I love me some Telly Leung. I want him in all the things. Same. And so you have, like, that coming. You have um, the Prince of Egypt coming back. Oh, my God. Which is yes. going to be really interesting because there are finally black people in something about Egypt, which doesn't <laughs> seem to be a thing in Hollywood. Is it just eyeliner? At Exodus Gods and Kings. At Intolerance. All right, continuing. Um... Yeah, uh, Norm Lewis is in that. Yeah, Norm Lewis excited. is in... Uh, and is it Bettina Miller? Yes, the only reason I think Broadway should be around. <laughs> oh, the only reason is Bettina Miller. It was created so she could take that stage. I <laughs> <laughs> have no idea who we're talking about. Um, and so, yeah, just, again, your guys' thoughts on this concept. I mean, it's great. There's nothing bad to say about that. I mean, obviously... Broadway and everything is moving forward. What I what I appreciate about it is that we uh, we're slowly moving away from this from this landscape in which these gigantic monstrous dinosaur shows just sit there forever and ever and ever yes. as they slowly yeah. rot. Which granted, they still are. Phantom is never going to leave. Lion King's gonna sit there forever. Do we want um, to I don't want do Lion want King to leave personally. I, I I don't want either one of those two to sleep. I mean I want cats to come back. <laughs> I do love me some cats. I don't want cats to sit around for twenty five years, but I I think cats should be around for eternity. I could I could go for more spandex clad women and Mr. McCavity. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the best part of cats, I'm sorry. Well that and that and Mr. Mistopheles. Yeah. Often you have something. He's a curious cat. Did you have something you wanted to say? Because you kind of jumped up. No, not but no, um, but no. Sorry, I, I got very sidetracked. But no, I, I appreciate that we're moving away from this landscape in which uh, it's these giant monstrous dinosaur shows since that have been there since the '80s, or in the case of Lion King, the late '90s. Um, also, Chicago. Forgot about Chicago. Yeah. still hanging around. Um, and then most of the new things that are coming in are based on pre-existing properties, and they're usually terrible. Yes, like Shrek. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that. I can't judge. It's awful. Okay, I'll take word for it. We can. We we'll all watch it and we'll fight about it later. Okay. okay. Um, it has a couple of moments. Um, and even even sometimes when they have high pedigrees, like shows like Bring It On with um, a score by Lin Manuel Miranda, I could care less. Um, and I love him, but I I don't want to see Bring It On the musical. I don't yeah. want to see a Christmas Story. I really don't want to see Ghost. But you liked Matilda. Oh, Ma- Matilda is a different story. <laughs> let me tell you. We can talk about Matilda well, I mean, all day well, I mean, long. How do, you, how do you feel about shows that? How do you feel about musicals um, that take pre-existing music and develop a story around them, such as like American Idiot or something along the line? I feel it depends entirely on the music being used and the quality of the final product. Um, American Idiot was one that I really could have cared less about when it was becoming big, and then I saw it at the Tonys, and I was like, hmm. This doesn't suck, and uh, a friend of mine went and saw it on tour, and she came and she came back, 
and like there's there's a oh my god it's a great show there's a legitimate story the music is utilized in a really interesting way um it's all been like reharmonized but it doesn't sound like the glee version i was extremely skeptical when i originally heard about it because i was like why are the main how do you guys feel about like Rock of Ages? I was about to talk about Rock of Ages and, and other such things. Um, I hate them with yeah. a passion. Uh, Rock of Ages, um, another one, another jukebox musical I detest is Motown the musical. And the thing is, I love the music. I love the music that is in that show. It's just a terrible show that exists for no other reason than hey, people like Motown. Let's throw them all together and say it's a story, and people will give us money to see it. Mm-hmm. So you think they're crowd pleasers? I agree. Yeah, they are. Actually, Remotown the Musical, um, I have not seen it. I want to because I love that era in music. Um, Barry Gordy, the creator of Motown, was asked why he made Motown the Musical, and he said, and I quote, well, it was either put a show on Broadway or buy a small island. I have two small islands, so I figured <laughs> might as well put a show on Broadway. <laughs> yeah, why not? Fair assessment. I don't know. It's it's also the same way I feel about you know the the preexisting stuff like your Shreks and your Bring It Ons and your Christmas stories, um, and it ties into another huge problem in the theater landscape today, which is no one is willing to take a risk. Yes, there's a huge problem with dwindling audiences. Um, but the thing is, the audiences aren't there because you're not giving them material that is good or that they want to see. And I mean. Yes, people know what Shrek is, or they know what Spider-Man is, or they know what Motown music is. Does that mean that they want to see a musical based around this concept? Probably not. Yeah. You know, I've had... My two favorite musicals are based around other... My, my two favorite musicals, Pippin and The Color Purple. The Color Purple was a book first, and then mm-hmm. it became a movie. And I was really... Like, going into it, I was like, why are we making a musical out of mm-hmm. this book and this movie? And then going to see it, I was like, oh, I understand now. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is what is really missing. Where People are producing and doing things not for the art of it. They're doing it so we can sell this X, Y, and Z thing. We can make money off of this as opposed to we are saying something with this. Yeah, it's not because they believe in the content of they the believe thing. In what the They believe in the money they can make. Yes, yeah. and that's that's a... I have so many problems with that. We have to do a um, capitalism episode. Okay. Hey. So we brought up the Lion King uh, in that last little topic there. Apparently, the ending of the Lion King that we got <laughs> is not the real ending that oh. Julie Taymor wanted to give us. Um, I thought Spider-Man was pretty crazy. This is possibly even crazier. Uh, this is a transcript from Julie Taymor's speech at the Nantucket Project. In my original idea, Simba doesn't go back at all. That never happened. He goes to the desert, and in the desert, he comes out of the jungle, and he sees Vegas. Um, She elaborates, saying that she had plans to bring in a new villain named Papa Croc, who had a bargain with the villain Scar to buy all the water in the Pride Lands. They then take all of that to create Las Vegas, a desert oasis staged to play off the real-life Papa Croc's Pussycat Lounge. But how does Simba handle Papa Croc? Hell. He gives in. So so Simba falls for Papa Croc but because why? Simba doesn't have a father. And he says, this man is a father figure. No. And then... I thought the whole movie was him getting up with that. Yeah, it, you'd think that. Remember. So, so, what, so I, does it end with him getting together with Papa Croc? I, she doesn't elaborate on what the ending is. Was this... Was this conceived as a third act? Or... No, this was... This would have been... So, you know, the Where second act stopped? of... So, what... So the layout is so 
Mufasa dies. Spoiler, yes. Mufasa dies. What? What? <laughs> and uh, so Simba Simba leaves with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yeah. And he's in and he's in the jungle. <laughs> Um, and so he meets Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, yeah. but then instead of having this journey of self-discovery and finding love and realizing that, hey, maybe I should go avenge my father because it's not my fault, he finds Las Vegas and this crocodile man. And so Scar is still kicking. Yeah, yes. like Scar is still hanging around. Scar has like a deal with Papa Croc, so he apparently. Scar pretty much. Papa Croc is working for Scar? Yeah, with Scar. But what about Simba? I don't, I, I, I don't know. Is Julie Taymor is really the what person to ask in this case. She doesn't say. She doesn't tell that's, us. That's all we know thus far. I, what's, what's great is that it did end because she had people there telling her no, unlike Spider-Man. Oh. Well, actually, in Spider-Man she did. It's just that she didn't listen and she threw fits. But that's another story. Don't talk about that travesty around me. It's, you still, my, my I'm, I'm going to get that co- a copy of the, uh, the tell-all book so you can read it. Okay. It's really, that, it's that really fantastic. I can. We can watch it right now. The whole watch. thing is on I YouTube. I will never watch it. We're gonna watch it. Conversation. <laughs> um. All right. Uh, so should we uh, calm ourselves down and talk about Dulcidius? Uh. Did we all we all read Dulcidius? Right. I did. I I think most of us, which we hadn't read Dulcidius. <laughs> um. I don't even want to talk about Dulcidius. Okay. So. Yes, that's the most important part of it because it. That's kind of like the only thing that's relevant. Middle Ages. Dulcidius is a play, and everyone, please join in because I am about to give the most bare review of this I can. I can't remember any of their names. Dulcidius is a play about a man who wants three sisters to worship his gods, and the three sisters, being good early medieval Christians. Decide that instead of worshipping his god, they only want to worship theirs. The Almighty. The One. Well, it's a little bit more than just the gods, though. Because, like, the beginning... I don't remember his name, but the emperor with the ridiculous name, he's like, Hey, uh, I want to marry y'all to some Roman dudes, but, like, you gotta stop all this Christianity stuff. Yeah. So if you could, like, sacrifice a cow to Baal, that'd be awesome. And they're like, nah, we're, we're good. We don't want to do that. Sorry, that's... I mean, you, that's... People die, which is yeah, yeah, and like they all have like like names that are allegories. There cause... is no justice because <laughs> uh, I didn't I didn't know what the translation of the other two was. But on first reading, I was like agape, like they named her after like love, but like agape has like a secondary meaning because they're like different formations of the Greek word for love, and that one is like heavenly divine love. Oh, not the love of God. If we right? wanted to say yeah, I was about to say God love, but that sounds a lot more. Creepy than the love of God. You getting some Jesus there? I see the Holy Ghost entering you through your navel, like the spirits of the ancestors after a brisk Suzuki section. Oh my god! Anyway, okay. So, so the uh, guy like locks the girls up, and he's like, "I'm a." He like goes in there, I think, intending to like, either have sex with them or molest them. them molest no, it was molest them. them. Yeah, and then. God intervenes and he starts making out with I don't God. think anyone intervened. I no, think it was so, just dark in the room. So what it, what oh, it reads I like. What so it, you didn't read it the correct way. What it read like to me, okay, so so the emperor locks him in prison and he sends this guy, Dulcidius, who's like a captain or something. And Dulcidius is like, hmm, y'all fine bitches. Mm-hmm. I wants to marry you. And they're like, no... No, we're really okay, Dulcidius. We don't want to marry you. And he tells the guards, hey, 
I want you to lock them up in the kitchen so I can go molest them later. Yeah. Because I'm yeah. Whole... easier to molest them in the kitchen than it is <laughs> in a cell. <laughs> and so the guards lock them in the kitchen, and they hear like Dulcidius coming. They're like, "Hey, let's go hide." But like it's dark in the kitchen, so they're hiding around. They're watching him, and he starts like feeling up the pots and pans. And the reason I really wanted to talk about Dulcidius is because of the way I interpreted the following scene. So there's this hilarious bit where Dulcidius is like making out with pans and kettles, and there's a part about how how he's like rubbing his breast with a pot, and like the girls are like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this guy is doing this with the pots and pans." <laughs> And then he leaves, but he's covered with all of his soot. Yeah. And the guards are freaking out because they think he's a demon. And where my... I have a very visual mind. And my... The first image that popped into my head was from, like, 1930s, 1940s Tom and Jerry cartoons. Where, like, they get, like, covered in tar. And it's, like, super racist, like, pickin' imagery. And I was like, oh my god, is that what this is? Is this, like... 10th yeah. century nun blackface? I think it, they comment on it at some point. The, I don't think they ever... I mean, yes, they say his skin is black, but I did not interpret it as being a racism. I interpreted it as being a fear of the devil. They, uh, oh, here's a line. Irina says, His face, his hands, his clothes, they are all as black as soot. He looks like an Ethiop. That's what I was okay. about to say. Well... Yeah. And but then, and then I, they start saying he looks like a devil. But, uh, yes, that is unfortunate wording on their part. Uh, I mean, but I don't think that... I don't think the people that see Dulcidius um, and are, are in fear of Dulcidius are afraid because he looks like a quote-unquote Ethiop. But, <laughs> um, yes, I think that is not a... Uh, very tolerant remark. There's a reason why the show isn't done now. <laughs> I don't know if the show was ever done. <laughs> it was done once in France in 1888 that we know of. Like, there's, oh, okay. there's no... There's also, no I was waiting for Rick to get me more information. There are no records that suggest that uh, it was actually performed while the nun was alive. Oh, okay. But uh, okay. probably not. Um, how do you feel about this? Um, as the Ethiope of the show, <laughs> um... <laughs> I didn't particularly read too much into that. I, I genuinely, not that I didn't read too much into it, I genuinely think I skipped this part because I didn't, I did not read the Ethiopian part. I just, really? my mind kind of blanked that out. Um, I mean, Mormons thought we were the son of Cain for a while. So this, <laughs> this could be similar to that, or it could just be thinking that he's dark, he's black. So he, hmm. Saying that doesn't taste right on my tongue, but he looks like a demon, or what we believe a demon to look like. Yeah, I don't particularly think this play was how you say well written. I no, I, 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 I agree uh, entirely. With I, that I can I can attest to that, but I don't think, as you said, I don't think it was intended to be racist. See, here's the thing, though. I think maybe reading it now, with I don't knowledge w- that we have now, looking back on it, that may be how it seems, but I do not think that is how none. Sister Mary, whatever. See, see, here's the thing about that, though. I'm not going to discredit early people's racism and say that it wasn't racist. I just don't think it was. Right. There is no evidence to support it. Because I'm not saying they weren't racist because Ethiopia's a word. But, (laughs) you know. Okay, so we're all kind of like shitting on this show, but why is it that this show is important at all? We're not all shitting on it. Well, I I feel like I wouldn't take a big dump on it. I don't don't think it's a particularly bad show. I think that... I would really love some stage directions. They would make yeah, me so that happy. Is true, that is true. Um, um, I, I feel that the, the point it's making is very heavy-handed because the last moment of this show, 
So, uh, yeah. Dulcidius, so, so, so quick rundown so that everyone else knows what the hell we're talking about, because I doubt anyone has ever read this thing. Nope. Um, so Dulcidius gets covered in soot, and the Christian girls think it's hysterical. Mm-hmm. And he walks out, and he's like, hey, guards, where are the girls? And they're like, ah, a demon! And he's like, no, I'm Dulcidius. Ah, a demon dressed as Dulcidius! And they run away. So he goes to tell the emperor, but, like, his wife finds him, and the wife is pissed off, because he's like, those Christian women have cursed you. So they burn two of them alive, and then the other one escapes from the mountains, and they hunt her down. And the last moment is, like, this big thing about how, like, you're going to go to hell because you're going to be damned, and your bows cannot kill me. And then that's actually where it stops. Like, she says, um, I shall enter the Azor Palace of the Eternal King, to whom be the glory and honor forever and ever. And I assume so that she gets shot. We assume, but we don't know. Um... I find but you, uh, exact. I think your description put something into uh, perspective for me. Uh. So I think the fact that the Christian girls see him and find it hu- covered in soot and, th- and find it humorous that he's covered in soot, and everyone else that sees it thinks he's a demon. The non-Christians think that is obvi- very clearly shows sister. Uh, Don't even try to say. Okay, Rothwitha. Ross, enough. Ross, Ross, Weetha. Close, close enough. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Shows her stance. You know what I mean? Because the Christians are the only sensible ones in the play. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is and kind of this is this is kind of but, like we are civilized because yes. we are Christian. You are not because you are not. I find it interesting that she finds a hiding place in the mountains. Yes, because if we know anything about Yahweh, <laughs> uh, he is a mountain god. He is a mountain god, and the help. Comes from the mountain. But I did a. I, it didn't really take a whole lot of digging. But um, so this was actually about like three like Christian martyrs that were canonized yeah. by the church. Yeah, it was an actual story. Yeah, it was an actual story. Yeah, and it's even. Um, I think the girls don't burn alive in there. There's even the like they're from reading various books of the Bible. They were. Stories similar to this. In there the is a there is a straight reference to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego um, when they when they tie the two up because they start calling God and saying that your flames will not harm us as yeah. you did in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, not what this means. Uh, Shad- uh, just a quick to understand the reference. If we go Sh- with Veggie Tales, no, no. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were they worked in a chocolate factory. They were four supporters of Christ during the time of like the Roman Empire. And it was, you could not pray. You oh, lived in Babylon. Yeah, you could not pray during the day. Like, you could not pray to your God during the day. But they were found praying. And so they were put inside a building and it was lit on fire. But the book says, stay with me now because I might bless you. The book says <laughs> that the four of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and the Bendigo, were protected. And as they came out of the fire... As they came out of the fire, the image of Christ was in front of them, blocking the flame from attacking them. So that's the reference from, even though there's a difference here because these three, these two of the women die. Yeah. yeah they definitely well, die. Well, I definitely, because since there are no stage directions, I thought they were alive. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. They even talked about, oh, they're not burning, their hair's not burning, their skin's not burning, their clothes isn't burning. I was like, oh, they're fine. <laughs> and then later on, they're just, they just didn't come back. And I was like, oh, I guess. guess Much like in Medea, there was just a chariot that swung low and carried yeah. them away. Yeah. We don't need to argue that. Um, I still need to actually read that. I've never read Medea. I don't think you just said that. I think you just got that out. 
And now, moving right along to our next segment, Sarah Supposes, where our lovely Sarah tries to guess the plot of a play without ever having read it. This week, we're doing The Seagull by Anton Chekhov. So, Sarah, whenever you're ready. So, I'm pretty sure, I, th- I'm, I think it starts with a funeral. Like, I know, I know that's like the one thing that I think happens. Someone dies, probably Masha. Um, <laughs> And everyone's going to the funeral. Constantinople is there. <laughs> Wait, uh, who is who is Masha? Masha is, is she like a daughter? <laughs> okay, who has passed on? A uh, seagull attack. <laughs> it was really sad. She died like that one playwright had a. Yeah, the seagull just dropped a rock on her dropped, head. Dropped a rock on her head. Poor <laughs> Masha. Uh, we'll miss we'll miss Masha. So uh, Helga Constantinople. Uh, what are some other characters? There's, there's, Thorin. There's... Thorin. Love Thor, Thorin. Thorin. Thorin Openshield? So Thorin. <laughs> I love this guy. Thorin's like the crazy uncle. He goes to the funeral. He gets sloshed. And he's like, darling, Marsha. God, I love you, Marsha. <laughs> and then, you know, Constantinople, as we all know, she, she, there's this whole controversy because she's been breeding the seagulls. Not with them. She's a, she's a seagull breeder, and everyone's thinking she might be the one behind Marsha's death. It's like, guys, we don't know if we can trust Constantinople. <laughs> so, anyways, a Vincent Sue, Uncle Vanya's there. <laughs> we just mix plays now. It's a trilogy. <laughs> um, Uncle Vanya tries to shoot someone. He misses. And he gets a seagull, and it ends. God, I love the seagull. Now I don't even want to read the seagull. I just want to see that show. Uh, One of Anton's chickens' best days. Thank you guys so much for joining Out Damn Podcast as we continue to discuss the ins and out of the theater world. Signing off, this is Jamal and Bobby. Yep. Sarah. Hey. Austin. Yep. And we'll see you guys again next week. Will we? No. Yes. Nah, none of that. Where's, where's Uncle Fania? <laughs> <laughs>